are listening to Beltway Beef, commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Ford Operating Base in Washington, D.C. We are joined today uh, by someone who really needs no introduction to our audience in the cattle industry or elsewhere, Chairman Pat Roberts from the great state of Kansas, Chairman of the Senate Committee on Agriculture. Mr. Chairman, thank you for taking the time to join us today on Beltway Beef. Right back at you. It's a privilege. Thank you so much. You know, in getting ready for this interview, and, and uh, we were lucky enough to spend some time with you earlier this week when we presented you with our first ever Top Hand Award for Capitol Hill. Uh, you're yeah, wearing a hat, hat today, which I, I love to see. And, you know, I'm, I'm just blown away. I always am when I go back through your, your resume and your biography and the, the, the time you've spent uh, in Washington and before. Uh, and we had the chance to stand under your new portrait in the uh, in the uh, Senate Agriculture Chambers in the in the uh, uh, on the hill, and I was struck by the portrait because you have your hand on eight farm bills in the picture, uh, and and that's a claim I don't think anyone else in the history of Congress can can make. Not to mention having chaired uh, that process on both sides of Capitol Hill. The um, story is I'm not too sure there's anybody that wanted to do that, but uh, <laughs> other than me. But I was very privileged. Uh, the seniority system isn't a very good system, but it's way ahead of whatever's number two. And so uh, lightning struck twice, once with the uh, Freeman Farm Bill back in 96. And that left 40 years of uh, agriculture program policy where the, the government was telling folks what to do with set-asides and everything else, everything we uh, tried to set aside in the grain sector or soybeans or corn or whatever, wheat, coarse, sorghum. Um, our competitors simply increased their production by, by more than we set aside, plus all of the other stuff that uh, we were telling farmers what to do. And it was a guy named Leon Torline out in Dodge City when I would go out there and we would go to uh, breakfast with about 30 of these guys. And I was bemoaning the fact that we couldn't get enough money from the Gingrich troop uh, to really do a farm bill, at, at least as we have known it. And uh, Leon stood up and said, Pat, why don't we just give it, you know, give me the freedom to farm. He said, I can, I can take care of my own stuff. He says, you just give me some kind of a, a target price payment or whatever else that you want to deem it. So he called it uh, the market transition payment. It, it was a, a direct payment. And then also crop insurance, which we really increased. But farmers could plant whatever they want to plant uh, according to the market. So that was a big one. And then in two, uh, 218, why Deborah Stabenow and I worked together very hard. You have to be bipartisan in a farm bill. And uh, we got 87 votes for that, uh, for that bill. But that was during a time, and still is today, where farmers have to have, farmers, ranchers, and growers have to have uh, certainty and predictability. That's how we sold it. We had over a thousand different organizations in behalf of that farm bill, which set a record. Very proud of that. You know, you mentioned something there, the, the need to be bipartisan in a farm bill. And, and I, I've been really curious to ask you this question. In, in your 40 years almost on Capitol Hill, a lot of things have changed, obviously. And, and that, that ability to really get bipartisan work done, it, it, I would imagine it's got to be pretty high on the list of things that have changed over the years. I think it's much more difficult today to get that bipartisan work done. Ag seems to be one of the last examples of an area where we're able to do that and, and really work across the aisle. How much has that really changed the rancor that we hear today, uh, the political discourse, even in the agriculture community, 
does it is it really different than it was uh, in in years past? Is it worse than it used to be, or or does it always kind of seem like now is worse than in the past? I just think it's very different. Um, back in the day, we always had our differences with the farm bill. Matter of fact, I think uh, the rule for uh, freshman uh, members of the house was to always vote against the farm bill the first time around because it was never enough. And uh, I didn't do that. I figured that it was my responsibility to vote for a farm bill. I mean, we, you, you have to have a farm bill. It may not be the best uh, possible bill, but it's the best bill possible. Uh, that's a line used by Kiki de La Garza uh, way back when he was chairman, and it was true then. So I think it was easier back then because we knew one another. Um, today, unfortunately, I don't think we know uh, I don't think we know each other, especially in the Senate. Uh, you will have somebody who is very partisan down there making speeches, and we all, you know, hear that. And the biggest uh, plea I hear from Kansans, and for that matter, all over the country, why can't you folks just work together and get something done? Well, one of the reasons is we don't know each other. And uh, we come back on Tuesday and have a vote, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, take off, and people go to their districts if they're in the House or their state and say, it's not me, it's the other guys that's at fault. <laughs> if you don't socialize with somebody, I'm talking about you can just have a cup of coffee. But if you have a breakfast or if you go out to eat, and I think the wives are really secret to this, one of the biggest problems is that uh, the cost of housing in Washington is such that uh, I know we're supposed to be an evil city, but we're not. This is the nation's capital. Uh, it's not my capital. This is not my capital building uh, or city. It it belongs to all Kansans, and for that matter, everybody that belongs to the NCBA or, or any citizen. I think if we get that sort of a... Uh, figured out, uh, maybe we can calm down a little bit, although I'm not too sure about that, and uh, see if we can't get along. Now, what we did in the Ag Committee with Senator Stabenow, uh, I would say that she is, without question, a more liberal Democrat. I'm a conservative Republican. But we knew we had to get a farm bill done, and it wasn't our first rodeo. And we knew each other. She came to K-State for the first hearing. We, I went out to Michigan State. I wore uh, green and white. She wore purple. Wow. And uh, and we had the hearings there, and then we went all over the country, and we tried to, every region, and, and we tried to leave the impression we were uh, doing this on a, on a uh, bipartisan basis. Number one, you got to have 60 votes in the Senate, so you have to compromise. Uh, something I had to repeat to my Republican counterparts in the House who wanted to do X, Y, and Z, and I said, I'm sorry, we can do X, Y, but not Z. We won't get 60 votes. And you got to, you know, you got to count votes or you're not going to get a bill. Yeah. So I think we did a pretty good job of that. And um, she was uh, very much in behalf of nutrition. Uh, so am I, if it were a little more reasonable, more especially with school lunches. Mandating what people eat is not you know, very high on my list. And, uh, but uh, we were able to increase the nutrition title and I think make some reforms in there. Uh, from a cost-benefit standpoint and in behalf of the taxpayer and especially the, all, the, all the folks that work in that, in that arena and they work terribly hard. So that in a nutshell is what uh, we agreed to do. No surprises, no press releases that the other one knows about. Give our staffs a, a marching order. You will work together. We will find a compromise. 
and then you just have to work very hard to get it done. We got 87 votes that set a record for a farm bill, so we did something good. You did indeed. A lot has changed, obviously, in agriculture over the last 40 years as well. I, I think there's a misconception that it's an industry that's behind the curve technologically, when in fact, there's more technology going into cattle production and agriculture today than, uh, than in, in most of the industries I can think of. And that's changing, I think, the way a lot of people raise cattle, produce cattle, and, and, and market cattle around the country, not to mention all of the other commodities. What about the way agriculture is developing do you think is positive? And the, are you encouraged to see? And, and what worries you after your years of service in these, in, in these policy issues about the direction we're headed? Um, I'm very proud of the bio bill that we passed in terms of biotechnology a couple of years back and uh, we're still working on that. Uh, we just had a hearing on agriculture research and where are we headed uh, down the road. Uh, everything, not everything, but you know, pretty much everything depends on ag research. And uh, sh show me a, a producer that does not have access to the current technology or research. Uh, and I'm, you know, that cowboy is gonna be in a lot of trouble. And uh, the key, along with broadband, is to make this available to everybody uh, out in farm country so they can at least compete. And we're doing amazing things in agriculture, just amazing things. Uh, not too many people are really aware of that. Uh, that's something that we try to trumpet all the time on the Senate Ag Committee, but it's the classic thing that uh, uh, we're all in the same church and the same church pew, but the rest of the people aren't singing the same song, I guess. So we always have that problem uh, to, um, to consider. Now, what am I worried about? Well, I look at the Obama-Biden years, and I look at all the damn fool regulations, pardon my language, rural fugitive dust, WOTUS, uh, endangered species, yep. the lesser prairie chicken. Yep. All of a sudden took off from Western Kansas because we didn't have enough rain. Then we got rain, and guess what? The lesser prairie chicken came back. Exactly. But in the meantime, all the regs were coming out from EPA saying what you could do and what you couldn't do in that area because of that damn bird. If it rains, the lesser prairie chicken becomes the greater prairie chicken. And uh, just, it's crazy stuff. But all those regulations combined, uh, I, I could list you 10 more. I'm afraid they're coming back because the same people that put them in are the same people now being nominated to be the assistant secretary or whoever it is that will be in charge of that. So I think we really have to guard against that. And uh, so we've, had, we've, we've got some good people. We have to win Georgia. That's the biggest thing I've been telling agriculture. If you don't win Georgia, uh, why then you don't have John Bozeman as the uh, chairman and he's going to make a great chairman. And uh, of course he'll, He'll have a Southern outlook, but he, he also is very much aware of what everybody's doing all over the country. So I'm worried about over-regulation again, uh, popping over the hill. I hope that doesn't take place. And uh, I'll have something to say about it. I'll get my finger in the pie somehow. Oh, I have no doubt about that. You know, in the, the, the bipartisanship you talked about earlier, uh, it was really nice to see Senator Alexander uh, play piano Christmas songs on the uh, on the floor of the uh, Hart Senate office building last night, accompanied by Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat from Virginia on the harmonica, and uh, Senator Susan Collins from Maine was singing, I think. Were you able to see any of that? I, uh, I happened on it last. Uh, 
I made a request that uh, after the Tennessee Waltz, which of course he always plays, sure, uh, and he plays it pretty well. But for him to be doing that, I just, I, you know, the, in the hard building, it's a, it's sort of a square and it goes clear up to about the sixth floor, seventh floor, really. And we had people lined up all the way around, you know, listening to those, you know, to that piano and the harmonica. I didn't realize that uh, Tim had done that, but I just shouted out, "Play a country song." And he said, no, nah, it's Christmas time. I said, there's plenty of Christmas country music. And he says, all right. And he started in, but uh, then I, I had to leave. I had, had to do something else. So I requested the song and then I, I told Tim Scott, uh, here, stand in front of me so he doesn't see me leaving. <laughs> Hopefully somebody got it on video so we can go back and review it right. later. Well, he was doing that on the rotunda uh, of the Capitol, it, all by himself, airplane you know, playing away with his Christmas music. Uh, Lamar is a great, great senator. Um, he's a great governor. And uh, he was in charge of, uh, back in the day, I think it was called uh, HEW, uh, Health Education Welfare. Not sure about that, but I think that's what it was. But he is a chairman that gets things done, and that's a tough committee. Yeah. Uh, you know, those of us that are on the Act Committee, we know each other. We sit around that small table where you were in just the other day, yep. and uh, we sit right across from one another. There are people that have different segments of agriculture that they really want to make sure is protected. I understand that, and uh, but we know that we have to get a bill done. So the, I, I don't, I can't remember, at least when I was chairman, that we had uh, any acrimony. Uh, we had a few things uh, to uh, talk about with Chuck Grassley, but then that's always the case. <laughs> I'll leave that one alone, but I, I will, I will, uh, I will ask you. You know, after watching our industry in the cattle industry and others for all these years, and obviously this has been a tough year in the cattle business. You know, the work you've done to deliver CFAP payments to cattle producers and and to make sure that our our producers had the ability to ride out this storm to the best of their ability uh, during COVID nineteen, during the price environment we've been in. Uh, what what advice what what can you tell our producers as you as you leave this historic career you've had about where our focus should be and and where we need to be paying attention moving into the the future we're moving into? Well, you've got to be uh, super active, uh, super proactive, anticipate, uh, and then go to your uh, best folks that we have on the ag committee, but then anybody else that you can grab a hold of. And we have to tell our story a lot better. Uh, usually when I talk to the National Cattlemen or the NCBA or whomever uh, on the rancher side of it, uh, on the producer side, um, I'd say, okay, now, what do you need in the farm bill? And they'd look right back at you and say, not a damn thing, leave us alone. Uh, that's not the case anymore in terms of a lot of technology that we have to be making available. But also, when we got into COVID-19, oh my word, and oh, by the way, we are still uh, pushing on two fronts. One is nutrition, of course, that's for Stavanaugh and myself, I'm, I'm for this. Uh, but I'm also start, uh, uh, lobbying for another CFAP uh, program. We're not, uh, we're not healthy. And uh, we've come back uh, some, and I, uh, I will give the Packers the credit for completely redoing their plants and uh, l launching into an education program that I think is helpful. Uh, that's, a, that's a tall order, 
under the circumstances. It just is. And uh, we shouldn't be doing anything counterproductive. I'll, I'll probably leave it at that. But 70% uh, of our market uh, is on contract. And you're getting a pretty good price for it. And then that whole food chain that is dependent on that is also involved. Why on earth you would want to say 50% has to go on stop mark on the spot market when 70% is on on contract with the whole industry? I, you know, that's a real problem for me. Now, it is a very legitimate argument to make, and uh, I know the producer Packer uh, range war will uh, continue. It has ever since I've had the privilege of being in public service, so I don't expect it to die out anytime soon. Uh, there's a there's a book we have new staff read here uh, called Cattle Kingdom. I don't know if you've read it, but uh, it, it's it it helps our staff coming in that didn't grow up in this business understand that this didn't just start happening in the last few years. This has been the dynamic since the beginning of raising cattle in this country. It's it's just I think it started out with that range war down in North Carolina, and then the one out in Arizona with the sheep and cattle folks. That was the Tewksburys and the Grams, and I met a grandmother who was on the Graham side. And that was the cowboy side who was running a bar out in Arizona. That's a long time ago, that's 60 years ago. Uh, I couldn't believe it that there was an actual survivor of that whole range war. Uh, that, that was, those were tough times. We Arizonans stay well preserved, so we, we last a while. Well, I, I, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I, I, you know, I, the last thing I, I would just ask you about. I, going into this new administration, and this is something you've been talking about in your committee and elsewhere on the Hill, uh, climate change, sustainability, however you want to call it. You know, uh, we wrestle here with the idea that we, we produce some of the best beef in the world. We produce the best beef in the world, and we do it with the lowest environmental footprint in the world. And yet we don't get credit for the work that we do in agriculture in, in, in managing all of this land around the country. Uh, do you do you see a, a, a path forward to telling that story better? Do you think there's a way to help folks on the other side of the aisle that maybe uh, have a preconceived notion about how we raise our product and what we do, or that we can break through? Or is that one of those issues that 30 years from now we'll still be butting heads over whether it's good or bad to, to, to have grazing out there doing what it does to better the environment? Well, I just hope to heck that 30 years we're still doing that. Uh, it's always going to be a challenge. Uh, people just, in the first place, they, they, they <laughs> well, COVID-19 did teach them a lesson that uh, their food didn't come from grocery stores. Let's hope or at least I hope that is the case. I'm not too sure about that. But uh, that's, that's always the case, but you have to meet it head on. And uh, you have to tell a positive story. It's like the GMO stuff. And it's like anything else that we deal with that, Sound science doesn't seem to uh, really enter into it, but the meat industry uh, in general, uh, if it, well, and the problem of these things, whether it's GMO or whether it's anti-meat or whatever, fake meat, uh, is that the consumer rules. And then a lot of the people that distribute our product, boy, they jump right in with the consumer without any real thought about it. Uh, there's a fantastic, uh, I don't know what to call it, uh, plant, and uh, in Dodge City, there was always the case if the wind came from the other way, you smelled the money, and that was fine. Right now, uh, that affluent goes out to uh, I don't know what to call it, plant out west of Dodge, uh, about oh, 15 miles, so nobody cares. 
and then it uh, that methane gas is produced and uh, great big billowed uh, you know receptacles and then it goes into a pipeline and then it goes into natural gas and then it goes right back to Dodge City to help them out uh, with their um, with their energy supply right now I've only been out there once so I can't really speak to it any more than that in the generality and I probably got something wrong in the process but it stunned me uh, on what a local community can do with the right people and then also with uh, your organization and the KLA and, uh, and then the National Academy and everybody concerned and uh, that just makes sense and so all of a sudden it's not only the best product but it's a way that we can uh, uh, you know have another source of power for you know our communities and so it's working in Dodge. If it, if, it, if, it, if it can work in Dodge, it can work anywhere. Boy, isn't that the truth? Well, uh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you joining us today, Mr. Chairman. It has been an absolute honor uh, for you to take this much time uh, in the middle of what I know is an incredibly busy rush to the finish line, as it always is around this time of year in Washington. Uh, thank you, not just for joining us today, but for all you have done for the cattle industry for producers around the country in your long and storied career. Can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Uh, we hope you stay in touch and, and uh, uh, we'll be waiting for you to weigh in on these things moving forward as you, uh, as you move on to your next thing. Well, I'll be happy to do that right back at you with Senator Carlson, my first boss who said there are no self-made men or women in public office. It's your friends who make you what you are. And the NCBA has been just mighty good to me in that respect. And, uh, I just appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thanks for the... It's our pleasure, sir. Thank you. You bet. Thanks. You've been listening to Beltway Beef, a very special edition coming to you from Washington, D.C. My name is Ethan Lane. I'm the Vice President of Government Affairs. Thank you for joining us. Have a Merry Christmas. And don't forget to serve beef. And don't forget to check us out on Spotify. Just search for Beltway Beef. Beltway Beef.